Sheridan, how are you reading comics? Uh, right now, I'm mostly reading them on Marvel Unlimited, uh, and sadly, mostly on my phone, <laughs> which is a really <laughs> terrible way yeah. uh, to read comic books, but it's fine. I can zoom in. Um, but yeah, I downloaded Marvel Unlimited a couple months ago and have been reading massive quantities of comic books ever since. All the comics. Right. Nice. Uh, having uh, most of what I would want available just with a click is really convenient and has led to some late nights laying in bed, like just reading comics and I can't sleep. Nice. What about you, Seth? I also am doing Marvel Unlimited and also mostly on my phone. So uh, we have a tablet that I could use, but it's just like, it's not, I don't use it very often for very many things at all. So I don't sure. ever think about it. And then I'm on my phone constantly because, you know. Because it's 2021. <laughs> yeah. So it's just super easy to get on there and look it up and stuff. So, and I really like it. It's, it's so accessible and so neat. Um, I mean, it is, it is hard on the phone because it can be kind of small, but. It's helpful that you can like click to see a single panel mm -hmm. sometimes. But. Yeah. And I actually like, so it has like a, uh like a reader view type of thing where it can guide you through the panels yeah. if you want to do it that way. Yeah. And so instead of having the whole page, you just like panel and then you swipe through to the different panels, which I kind of just go back and forth on. Sometimes I do that, but I always want to see the full page spread at some point. Me too. Um, but I have actually noticed that helps me slow down. Like uh, if they're, I'm pretty bad sometimes about just like ignoring the art and just kind of like skipping through <laughs> stuff, especially like blank panels. Right. And I noticed that in this run we're talking about going to talk about today, but like there are occasional moments where like Steve Rogers just stops and pauses and that like actually has an impact and a story purpose. But like if I were reading it full page, I would just like blow right by it. Yeah. Just skip so, over it. Yeah. How about you, Josh? So I went the different route because I wanted to also, I read a lot of DC comics as well. Um, and I wanted to be able to continue doing that. So I got comiXology through, um, comicsology the website <laughs> but the, so you can get it you can pay through it pay through it you can pay for comicsology using your amazon account um and it'll roll over into your kindle um, and i have this 10 inch kindle fire that i am obsessed with and so that's what i've been reading it all on nice um, yeah that you've got it in front of you it's like the perfect shape for a comic book yeah it's yeah. fantastic i mean i can actually show you guys what it's what a weird panel to just pop up on <laughs> but like it's pretty great very nice yeah that's and perfect. you can also do the same like zoom in thing that you're talking about um it has a view like i don't have it enabled but you can do the click through view um i don't typically do it i just read it typically like just yeah i don't i don't know if it's like this on all setups but like the marvel unlimited i have like if i double click i think it'll like go back and forth between mm -hmm. the uh, mm -hmm. whatever reader I think view I have and the long click I don't yeah. remember. I had it set up and then I, I, I was skipping. I thought you much. had to like go through into settings, but then I just started like clicking on stuff. Sort of <laughs> just started button mashing. Just like, yeah. But yeah, I've been using Comixology um, and it's pretty great. And since me and Mary share an Amazon account, she's able to use it as well. So she's been using it on her nice. phone and her Kindle. Um, but yeah, so I can get, I don't get the most up to date stuff like you guys are getting with um, Marvel Unlimited because you get, I think you get stuff a week after or two weeks after. Yeah, it's pretty is it fast. That's, is it really? I thought we were at least a like a month or two behind. No, you're you're really? right there. Okay. Um, I don't get that. I get. I think it's like six months or so, but nothing we're doing right now, like matters for that. So right. yeah. Also, it doesn't really matter for me because I'm just reading a bunch of old stuff. <laughs> yeah, same. So, the most recent thing I read has been um, Court of Owls, which is a Batman thing from like 2017. So. <laughs> yeah, I've nothing, read that, so I know that recent. that's pretty old. Yeah, nothing recent. Um, I'm currently working my way through Hickman's Avengers Omnibus, so I've got a ways to go. Um, but yeah, Comixology is how I'm doing it. So, and then uh, what are the price differences there? Like, because I'm paying, I think it's six, no, seventy-two a year, I think total. It's sixty a year. I paid sixty. So you guys deal. Yeah, really not. Yeah, not that big of a difference. Right. I love the idea of having a physical comic. Um, sort yeah, of the same absolutely. way I love the idea of having a physical book. Like it's always yeah. kind of my preference. And yet I cannot deny 
the um, convenience of having yeah. it in a digital format. It makes it really easy. Well, and especially for comics, which are so expensive. I mean, compared yeah, oh to buying gosh. just like a paperback novel, understandably, there's a lot more work and expense that goes into making them. Yeah. But it's nice to have a wide variety of things to read without paying like, you know, $20 for a trade. For sure. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, you finish comics so much faster than like, you know, paperback books. Right. And so you want to just go, like I read through, I don't know, 12 issues of Moon Knight the other day. Um, and I was just like, as soon as I finish one, I download the other and, you know. And you're off. Yeah. So you just keep going. Yeah. That's really handy. So do we want to dive into it? Let's go. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Amateurs Assemble, a comic book book club podcast for you. Whether you're new to comics, a regular at your friendly local comic store, or just looking to talk about our favorite heroes. I'm Sheridan. I'm Josh. And I'm Seth. We've assembled to work through some issues together. Last time we covered issues one through six in Ed Brubaker's Captain America run from 2004. This week we're diving into issues 8 through 9 and 11 through 14. We're not doing 10 because it's weird. It's a house of M tie-in that you don't need. <laughs> don't worry about it. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So each week we'll begin by providing a little background that you might need to know. Or that will at least enhance your reading. So Josh, tell us, what the hell is the Cosmic Cube? Cosmic Cube, let's deep dive. First introduced in July of 1966 by Stan Lee in Tales of Suspense, number 79, the Cosmic Cube, or more accurately Cosmic Cubes, have passed their way through the Marvel multiverse, causing havoc and destruction wherever they pop up. Said to be artifacts of great power, capable of matter manipulation and energy control, these cubes give anyone who wields them the ability to recreate reality as they see fit typically popping up in the form of a cube due to the nature of how one is constructed, but occasionally incarnating in the form of another vessel. The power of these artifacts is immeasurable. Creating a cosmic cube requires tapping into the power of the Beyonders, godlike extra-dimensional beings that exist outside of the primary Marvel Universe. Creating a cube is dangerous, extremely difficult, and often impossible. However, when done correctly, a rift in the fabric of the universe is created that allows the cube's creator to siphon energy from the Beyonders and funnel it into the cube as a vessel of power. If done properly, the cube's power to create and destroy is rivaled only by a fully assembled infinity gauntlet. Some would argue that it is not quite as powerful as a gauntlet, as the cube cannot manipulate time or a mortal soul, something that the time and soul gem are more than capable of doing. However, the Infinity Gauntlet slash stones are limited in power to the universe that they are home to, whereas the Cosmic Cube could operate at full power in any universe in the multiverse. Cubes are typically wielded by villains, most notably Thanos, Doctor Doom, AIM, Ringmaster, and more frequently than most, the Red Skull. The cube's use almost always end in disaster for the wielder and are often seen as a monkey's paw type situation by the Avengers. You get what you desire, but at great cost. Most iterations of the cube are within the comics, but we have seen a version in the MCU in the form of the Tesseract, a cube housing the Space Stone. It is clearly a nod to the Cosmic Cube from the comics. Whether or not we see a true Cosmic Cube in the Marvel Cinematic Universe remains to be seen. I would bet against it as doing the whole wish granting MacGuffin thing. We've already seen that as a plot device, so I doubt they're going to do it twice, but you never know. So now you're up to speed on all things Cosmic Cube. That was our speed run on it. Nice. Nice work, Josh. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So diving into our recaps here. So in issue eight, we begin the Winter Soldier arc with a flashback to a Soviet sub deployed in the English Channel during World War II. The officers overhear a radio transmission that says Captain America was on a plane that blew up over near the Channel Islands. Very close to their location, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> we move forward to the present day, and Nick Fury and Agent 13 Sharon Carter are briefing Steve on their belief that the Winter Soldier is in fact Bucky Barnes. Steve cannot believe it, especially considering the destruction caused in Philadelphia by the Winter Soldier the night before. We then see Cap's role in the aftermath of that bombing, saving several citizens from the destruction and random aid cleanup crews that pop up and call in a Modoc squad. We flash back to the briefing the next day, and Fury continues to lay out the case of the Winter Soldier for Steve and the various assassinations he's been associated with throughout the years. This is the first confirmation we have that there's someone out there who's been active over decades, 
but who has only aged about 10 years over that time frame. Steve still refuses to believe that it's Bucky until Nick Fury asks him point blank what he thinks since he actually saw him in person the night before in Philadelphia. We again flash back to that night before. There's a good action sequence there. Cap cleans up against some random goons until he sees a figure standing alone there in the smoke. Seeing his face, Cap says, Bucky? Leading to the iconic line and inspiration for our deep dive segment in episode one of who the hell is Bucky? An explosion then separates them. The Winter Soldier disappears before Cap can really know for sure. Back in the briefing, Steve still doesn't want to believe Nick Fury, or his own eyes for that matter, and he takes out his anger and frustration on a nearby shield window. Looking for some way to get closure on this, Steve asks what's next. Fury tells Steve that they suspect Alexander Lukin's involvement, and they'll be sending a small team to grab him. Anyone else who might be there with him? Maybe a certain long-haired assassin? In a short follow-up conversation between Fury and Sharon Carter, Sharon learns that someone she was formerly involved with, Agent Tapper, was killed in the explosion the night before. We end issue eight with a return to the Soviet sub from the beginning of the issue, searching the waters of the English Channel for Captain America. We learn that one of the officers on board is Commander Karpov, Alexander Lukin's mentor that we've seen previously, and he urges them to continue their search. They finally discover and bring on board a body, missing his left arm, and clearly not the super soldier they were looking for. But Karpov still has hopes and dreams and plans for his recovery to be continued. Right now. Issue number nine opens on a secure government re-education facility where a couple of guards are having the sort of conversation that probably feels familiar to nerds like us. Uh, We're dropped in the middle of the conversation, but they appear to be having some kind of debate about which Avenger they'd most like to be. It's kind of a nice lighthearted moment for this story as they argue about whether having Hulk's rage strength would make up for his um, difficulties with the ladies. <laughs> of course, since the first panel tells us that this facility is secure, it should be no surprise when our nerdy guards are taken out by crossbones before the page ends. Meanwhile, above the Altai Mountains in Mongolia, Cap and Sharon are at odds. In a flashback to the day before, we learn that Steve had tried to have Sharon taken off the mission. Although out loud, he still denies that the Winter Soldier could possibly be Bucky, his determination to protect him tells us that he believes it more than he's letting on. He at least isn't taking any chances. He's afraid that Sharon will be out for revenge since the explosion set off by the Winter Soldier killed Agent Tapper, and she doesn't do much to assuage his concerns. She does want justice for Tapper's death. Her anger is completely understandable, uh, but that only makes Cap's resolve more touching. In another flashback to the day before Cap's argument with Sharon, Cap and Fury are discussing this upcoming operation. Fury has taken a better-to-ask-forgiveness-than-permission approach to the op, in which they plan to break into Cronus International Headquarters in search of the Cosmic Cube. Or at least, Fury's plan is to search for the Cosmic Cube. Back in the present, after they've blasted their way in, it becomes apparent that Cap's mind is focused on something, or rather, someone else entirely. They reach the boardroom on the 41st floor, and without waiting for a plan, Cap barrels in, grabbing Lucan and shouting, where is he? Cap's righteous indignation is cut short, because among the people in the boardroom are the chief of staff to the vice president of the United States and the assistant to the secretary general of the UN. Fury realizes the precarious situation they've landed in and is willing to fall in line and play the long game for now. Cap is called off, and although he does leave with Fury, he refuses to apologize for the disturbance. After S.H.I.E.L.D. are gone, a fun little bit of misogyny plays out in which Lucan (laughs) threatens to turn Leon into a woman because he's acting like one. You can't see the eye roll I'm giving on the podcast, but you can feel free to imagine it. I guess I give Rue Baker a pass on this since he is putting the dialogue in the mouths of our villains, but bleh. The final scene takes us back to Crossbones, who has taken a young woman from the re-education facility. He informs her that she is Cynthia Schmidt, the only child of Johann Schmidt, who we know as the Red Skull. 
For just for a second, before we move on to issue eleven, can we talk about how the entire time they're breaking into the building, Fury keeps talking about how it's going to be a stealth mission and how it's going to be quiet. And Cap have, is not on a stealth mission, you guys. None of them are, though. None of them. Right. I mean, they literally like blast their says, way in. I have it pulled up right here. It says, "Team two, I want those outer doors blown now. Muted discharge." And then it's literally a picture of a fireball and people falling over. It's muted though, Josh. It's muted, so it's, it's fine. The windows, it's a muted explosion. The windows are literally being blown out in the art, and I wonder if it's just like, if, if it was a disconnect. blown out. Disconnect between the art and the... Yeah, the artist didn't know or, I don't know. or what, but it's it's just ridiculous. And there's like gunfire in the background, but it's like... It's the, muted gunfire. <laughs> it's this like, uh, they just have the quietest weapons at shield is what it is. <laughs> right. Quietest, most destructive weapons possible. Sorry. It just drove me crazy. Um, let's go on to issue 11. Okay, issue 11 opens with a shot of Cronus corporate headquarters with a very frustrated General Lucan. Lucan? God, I can't read. Lucan! General Lucan, um, searching for a missing file. A disembodied voice speaks to him from somewhere in the room, but we are not shown who the speaker is because mystery. He is informed. He is informed that he is running late for his flight to the U.S. and turns to accuse the Cosmic Cube itself of doing something to him. Back in Brooklyn. A post-workout cap returns to his apartment to find a suspicious file in his apartment. Security shows no break-in has occurred, so Cap ponders where the file labeled Project Winter Soldier could have come from. We see a montage of sorts as Cap reads through the file. A vat of green liquid similar but not the same as the one seen previously in the opening of issue 1, being unloaded from a military truck and notes from a doctor dated May 5th, 1945. They detail the events that led to the revival of Bucky and his transformation into the mysterious assassin known as the Winter Soldier. General Karpov had pulled a mostly dead Bucky from the frozen water, as detailed in issue 8. From the frozen waters, his plane had exploded above. The doctor explains how Bucky must have jumped from the plane moments before the explosion, as his wounds are not grave enough to be any closer than 20 feet from an explosion. The notes detail the process of thawing and reviving Bucky under the orders of Karpov, who had seen firsthand how deadly the young soldier could be when he was in action. Karpov thought he was so deadly, in fact, that Buck must have had the same super soldier formula flowing through his veins as Cap himself had. This illustrates just how formidable Bucky was in combat, having no super formula. The montage continues, and we see some of the extent of Bucky's injuries as they are patched up, most notably his missing left arm, as noted before. He has complete amnesia, leaving him with no memory of his previous life. We learn that despite not remembering anything from his past, his combat and espionage skills are still intact and formidable. After several attacks on Russian military and medical staff, as well as learning that he has no super soldier formula in his blood, Karpov orders Bucky to be sedated and placed back in suspended animation. The file jumps forward from 1945 to 1954, and we see that Bucky has been de-iced and is fitted, fitted with the iconic robotic arm, emblazoned with the trademark red star on the shoulder. We also learn at this time that the KGB is assigning Bucky to the Winter Soldier program, an attempt to, quote, turn this American symbol back against our enemies. With imagery clearly meant to invoke images of Marvel Presents issue 79, Weapon X, we see Bucky fitted with a similar sensory deprivation and reprogramming helmet to the one that Wolverine was also fitted with. Both heroes turned villain by exploitation of their amnesia and used by others to exploit their considerable combat abilities. It's just a strange parallel that is just clearly done on purpose. Bucky is sent on a field test for a night on the town with a mix of U.S. and U.K. servicemen, and they detect nothing insidious about the hidden assassin who ends up killing three soldiers and staging the scene to look like a jeep accident. Seeing this as an absolute victory, Bucky is officially given the title of Winter Soldier and placed back on ice for future missions. Over the next few years, the Winter Soldier is thawed, sent on assassination mission after mission, each one a success. By 1957, the KGB realizes that he is slowly starting to question the nature of his reality, and they posit that his mind is striving to fill in the Swiss cheese-like holes left by his programming. After he begins questioning his mission orders and attacks a fellow operative, it is determined that the Winter Soldier must be placed into stasis after each mission in order to maintain the programming that has been implanted in his mind. So we jumped in March of 1974, where the Winter Soldier has just completed the assassination of a senator when he goes AWOL. The Russians track him for over two weeks before finally catching him in New York sleeping in a quote, flop house, 
After reconditioning, he is unable to explain his actions and does not remember being AWOL at all. The Russians decide this was a one-off aberration and forget the whole mess. In the early 80s, a now elderly General Karpov takes on the Winter Soldier as his personal bodyguard. He takes sadistic pleasure in seeing Captain America's once faithful partner used against the country he once fought for. In 1988, General Karpov dies and, with his last orders, ensures that the Winter Soldier is decommissioned and placed back in stasis. We see the familiar green stasis tube from issue number one once again locked away in a Russian storage facility where he waits to be unfrozen by, I assume, top men just because it looks very Indiana Jones. We flash back to the present and Cap has finished the file. He calls in Nick Fury and Agent 13 to talk over what he's learned and recalls sitting in a theater with Bucky watching one of their wartime exploits on screen. Bucky revels in the crowd's adoration of the clips and Steve admonishes him, of course, remembering those who died rather than the victory that was won. Bucky accuses Cap of being too serious and tells him, sometimes I think if you didn't have me, there wouldn't be a single person in the world who really understood you. We end the issue with Cap, center frame, head in his hands, and the photos from the file all over the floor. And Sheridan ends the issue crying. It's really, yeah, it's, it's a it's a hard hitting. It's really sad. Like, it's really well done storytelling. Yeah, yeah that last panel is just yeah, it's gut-wrenching. Yeah. And it, yeah. So two two things I wanted to point out on this issue, this issue is the layout in general is really cool. It's like splash pages, but not quite splash pages. Yeah. They're, you know, not traditional panels, which the rest of the book has been, but they're like splash pages with a bunch of images like melded together. Mm -hmm. And then the, um, you know, the dossier writing along the side. Yeah. It's Um, a really clever way to do it. Yeah. And it's, it's just like really immerses you. And when it pulls you out of what you're so used to, Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing is the flop house. This was pointed out a couple issues later in the the letters section. I love a good letter section to a comic book. I'm glad you do because I never read them. <laughs> I just don't. I've always loved them. But apparently this is a callback to Fantastic Four number four, like the original number four way back when, uh-huh. where Johnny Storm gets upset and like runs off somewhere to a flop house and is chilling there and he finds... Namor suffering from amnesia and is able to pull him out and, uh, you know, bring him back into the fold, tell him who he is and all that stuff. And so if you look in the background of the panels on this one, Namor is there in the panel. Yeah. No. So it's supposed to. Yeah. So they're at the same time. They're at the same time. That's crazy. I'm gonna have to go back and look. Yeah. Yeah, just, so just two ex defenders or invaders with amnesia just hanging out. Yeah. Just hanging out in one flop house. So. Without knowing who they are what or totally who each other are. That's bonkers. That's a great callback. That yeah. is great. Wow. Fun. What? Okay. So forgive me, but is a flop house just like a, like is it a crack house? Is it like a homeless it's, place? What I is think it's more like, like a hostel. It's like a hostel? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Like a hostel or I don't know. I thought of it more like a homeless shelter. Actually, Maybe. what I yeah. think of is uh, <laughs> sitting on the edge of forever, the Star Trek episode <laughs> where Kirk and Spock uh, yeah. are at a flop house. Right, like I didn't huh. remember that was called a flop house, but yeah, okay, okay. See, I thought it was like just like a that like a, like it's a actually squatter, almost somewhat squatter place. It's somewhere between a hostel and a homeless shelter, right? Almost. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's a hostel shelter. Okay, <laughs> okay. Moving on to <laughs> moving on to issue twelve begins with Alexander Lukin once again ignoring his closest advisor Leon's warnings and handling the cosmic cube just before going into a meeting with the heads of. The world's most powerful companies. I put that in quotes. Actually, that's a direct quote from the comic. <laughs> we first believe that Lucan is auctioning off the cube, starting the bid at $100 billion. But we return to the scene later in the issue, and we see that he's actually using the cube to manipulate these CEOs into signing over their companies to Kronos Corporation. I have so many thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> the power play takes a toll on Lucan, however who stumbles in the hall afterward and drops the cube. Leon picks up the cube and again voices his concerns to Lucan. But Lucan is too overcome by the cube to see someone else holding it. In an act of superhuman strength, he picks up the sofa he'd been recovering on and maims his friend. Elsewhere in the issue, 
We see that Steve has brought Nick Fury and Agent Carter into his confidence on the Winter Soldier dossier. While he still questions whether the dossier is real, too much of it matches up for his comfort, and providing it to him in this way is also in line with the mind games of whoever has been controlling the cosmic cube. Sharon tries to comfort Steve and tell him that's not really but just whatever is left of his body that they have contorted to their purposes. But Steve can't see it that way. In the hints that Bucky tried to escape and turn against his Winter Soldier programming, Steve sees that his friend is trapped inside this killing machine that they've created. We flash back to Steve watching Bucky train at Camp Lehigh in 1941, just before meeting him. Steve does worry that he's too young to be a partner, as we discussed in our first episode's deep dive. Child soldier. It's fine. It's it's fine because because Bucky is highly skilled. He's a very skilled assassin, I guess. Good at killing this kid. <laughs> child this assassin. He's a child assassin. Oh, and mascot. So we forgot that. And mascot. Basically the camp pet. Basically the camp pet. Because he doesn't have anyone. His father had died. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. So Steve decides to meet the kid, and we go back to the present. Cap is leaving his apartment after having talked to Nick Fury and Sharon Carter. When Sharon stops and tries to talk to him again, she again tries to convince him that while it's Bucky's body, it's not really him. He already died, Steve, she says. Steve pauses before turning to back to say, yeah, I was there. Somehow in just those few words and panels... You can see that the grief is still with him after all this time. And the new revelations have Cap so twisted inside that he doesn't know what to do or think. After Cap leaves Sharon, she calls Nick Fury to tell him she failed in talking to him and to send in backup. Cap goes patrolling throughout the city, trying to clear his head and think clearly for what he should do. Bucky is counting on him after all. We flash back to a World War II battle in the Netherlands where, already outnumbered, Cap, Bucky, and their meager forces have to fight off zombies of their recently deceased colleagues in addition to the Nazis they were fighting. Bucky is clearly horrified and disturbed by this, and Steve, rightly, connects that while Bucky isn't in control of his actions now, he'd hate that more than anything. Cap continues to patrol through the streets, but you can tell he's completely distracted. He breaks up a mugging, but doesn't even stop to talk to the person that he saved. He wonders how he's going to get through this, and he's really starting to consider that he might have to kill his friend to free him from this fate worse than death. While he's considering all of this, the Falcon flies in, tipped off by Nick Fury that Cap might really need a friend right now. Cap was kind of doing superheroing on autopilot there at the end. Yeah. it's. I love a good... I feel like Marvel does this a lot where it's just like heroes swinging through the city for real, no real reason. Just patrolling. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, that's definitely Daredevil, Spider-Man. All those Daredevil street, does it a street level heroes, Luke yeah. Cage, Jessica Jones. It's good stuff. So we open with, actually, let me ask you guys a question real quick. What was his name, the friend, or Lucan's assistant guy? It's Leon, right? Leon. Le- that's what we were going with. <laughs> that's what we're calling him anyway. Okay. So we open with General Lucan sitting bedside of Leon, the man he just hospitalized in his bout of cube-filled insanity. He asks the doctor about brain damage and learns that it's too soon to tell. Uh, he stands and decides that this cannot continue. Then he exits. We jump to Cap's apartment, where he and Sam Wilson, the Falcon, discuss the Cosmic Cube and Lucan's use of it to enact revenge on Steve. Sam equates the use of the cube to being a genie's lamp from some cautionary tale, something that, when used, never goes as the holder intended. Sam shows us how crucial his friendship with Cap is here by doing something uh, we've yet to see Agent 13 or Fury do. Sam asks Steve what he wants to do in the situation. What a novel concept. Weird, right? It's just strange. When Steve says in earnest that he wants to, quote, save him somehow, Sam doesn't hesitate and says, quote, good. So how do we do that? Sam is the friend that we all need, just so you guys know. He's I just... mean, and a social worker, so. <laughs> yeah. Sam's just the best. Like, yeah. good job, Marvel. At Kronos headquarters, we see Lucan handing over the Cosmic Cube to the Winter Soldier with orders to, quote, kill any man who even attempts to touch it. The Winter Soldier expresses dissatisfaction with how the cube is being stowed away, but agrees to the orders regardless. This causes a little bit of a back and forth between Lucan and the Winter Soldier, basically saying, don't question me ever again. Bucky's just like, okay, sure. The scene jumps to the Lower East Side of New York, and we see some aid flunkies get wrecked by Iron Man, Cap, and Falcon. More flunkies show up, more flunkies get wrecked. Um, After the beating, Cap depends that they show him a way to track the Cosmic Cube. 
Uh, we jump to Stark Labs where Tony explains to Cap and Falcon where the cube is located based on the data that they were given by aid. Those aid guys just kind of turned it over once they got beaten up. Just like, here, take it. We learn that the cube is slowly moving towards a nuclear safe vault recently purchased by Cronus. Tony explains that he cannot join the other two Avengers in their raid on the bunker uh, due to fear of losing Stark Industries as a result of Iron Man raiding a rival company's property, which this, is... Yeah, and this is just a company that just took over all of the world's most powerful corporations. Literally, like all, Literally of all of them. So... I mean, it's fair. Like, <laughs> I get it, but it's just kind of a plot. It's just, it's plot armor for Tony, like, keeping him out of it. It's, I mean, it's actually kind of interesting. Like, it's an interesting limitation that we don't get in the MCU ever. That's true. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I retract my criticisms of it. Okay. Falcon and Cap take a jet, which is funny. I don't know why. I just kind of imagined Falcon flying them there, <laughs> but whatever. Apparently, he doesn't fly Cap, just Bucky. No. Just Bucky. <laughs> So Falcon and Cap take a jet to the bunker uh, and call in S.H.I.E.L.D. for backup, noting that they've waited until the last second to prevent S.H.I.E.L.D. bureaucracy from delaying assistance. Agent 13 reports that they will be there as fast as possible, and she immediately scrambles a strike team. Steve and Sam run some recon before storming the bunker, and we see that the Winter Soldier has Sam in his crosshairs. He then targets Cap. The issue ends with the Winter Soldier taking a shot. What a cliffhanger. We haven't really talked about covers in our overviews, but I do want to take a second uh, to talk about how much I love the cover for this one, which is a throwback to the classic comic covers of the 1940s. I find it really charming how Epting juxtaposes the background image of World War II era Captain America and Bucky as heroes on their way to Berlin with Captain America and the Winter Soldier squaring off in the foreground. Both men are screaming as they raise shield and rifle against each other. And it plays up the ways that both of them uh, have changed and been shaped by their tragedies. The issue opens with the same scene the previous issue left off on. Falcon is caught in the Winter Soldier's crosshairs. The assassin aims, takes the shot, and to his surprise and dismay, he misses. As Cap's shield comes hurtling toward him, he drops from his sniper perch and takes cover in the building. Steve fights his way through the guards, shouting to Sharon and Sam that he'll stop the Winter Soldier. No one stops me, the Winter Soldier tells him as he attacks. Yeah, well, someone has to, Steve tells him, and I can't fail you again. In response, Bucky throws a punch and his metal fist connects with Cap's shield with a cling giving us an iconic image. Sharon and Sam race to find Cap as the fight between the former friends continues. Cap deflects the Winter Soldier's fist, his knife, and his bullets, but he's clearly on the defensive here. As the soldier attacks, Cap tries to trigger his memory. Is this really all you are, he asks? Is there no part of you that knows what you used to be? Although the Winter Soldier denies it, it's clear that Cap is starting to get under his skin. Shut up, he screams. You don't know me. Finally, Cap falls to his knees, his arms spread wide, and he tells Bucky, once the only person in the world who really understood him, that if he's going to kill him, he should go ahead. For a moment, the Winter Soldier hesitates. It isn't until Sharon and Sam come bursting in that he fires, but the shot misses, and Cap flings the shield at him, knocking loose the bag containing the cosmic cube. It tumbles to the ground at Steve's feet, and he picks it up, holding it out toward his once and future friend. Remember who you are, he commands. The Winter Soldier falls to his knees with a scream, clutching his head as all the years come flooding back. On the splash page, we see him in color as the sepia-toned memories surround him in a cloud. He is a child at the entrance of Camp Lehigh, clutching his father's hand. He is a teenage soldier in the 40s, sheltering from incoming ordinance with Captain America in a bombed-out city. He is falling to his death. He is becoming the Winter Soldier. Bucky remembers. And then he looks up tears streaming under his domino mask and tells Cap that he should have killed him instead. If we think about the cube as something like a monkey's paw or a genie's lamp where it's important to be careful what we wish for, then we see the danger of Cap's well-intentioned wish here. 
Bucky grabs the cosmic cube, enraged by the thought of all the innocent people who have died and who he has killed for it, and he closes his metal fist around it, shattering it in a blaze of blue light. When the light dies down, he's gone, but Cap knows that he's a survivor, and he's out there somewhere, alive. Amid the broken-down remains of Fort Lehigh, Bucky walks in the dark, remembering the first time he was introduced to Corporal Steve Rogers, Captain America, and was told he would be his partner. In our last view of Bucky, he sits in the overgrown grass near the barracks he grew up in, head in his hands. You're a fool, he tells himself. The issue closes with Lucan realizing that the destruction of the cube has essentially locked the red skull away within him, the two of them locked together like rats in a cage, at least for now. And that brings us to the end of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. What a good arc. Yeah. I do like that we also get to see like who the disembodied voice was. Yeah. And that was a good reveal. Like you think about it in terms of issues, right? It's only like what? 14 issues from the time they kill the red skull Mm -hmm. to bringing him back. But in coming time, that's over a year, yeah. you know, in publishing time. So that's pretty long for superhero comics. <laughs> Here's a long time for somebody to stay dead. Yeah, because <laughs> nobody stays dead. Except for Ben. Except for Ben. And for a long time, Bucky. Yep. Until now. It was really good, though. Like, using the cube to bring his memory back was just, like, a really nice way to pull the story back to get, like, yeah. bring it all together, I felt. Yeah. Do you guys feel that, so because, at least to the hero's perspective from the way that the heroes regard the cube, do you feel like the events that lead up to Civil War and all that are maybe the fallout from Cap's wish? Oh, that's interesting. A good point. Because nobody, literally nobody uses the cube and it goes well for them. Right. Maybe. I mean, I certainly think it doesn't, we go well here i mean yeah like bucky gets his memory back and eventually that's a good thing uh but there are going to be several issues uh which we're mostly skipping (laughs) where uh bucky's kind of not present he's wandering around you see kind of glimpses of him but he's clearly having to like process having years of memories suddenly shoved back into his head and having to face decades of trauma um, that he's both had inflicted upon him and inflicted on other people. Yeah. But yeah, I hadn't thought about that kind of as the lead up to the civil war, but mm-hmm. civil war. And then ultimately good point. Like, you know, caps <laughs> spoilers. Caps. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if the title of the issue arc is the death of captain America, it's not really spoilers. He might live. You don't know. He might live. We I mean, literally were just talking about how no one actually. He's better. probably going to live, guys. <laughs> he got better. I don't know. I just, that thought literally just occurred to me as we were reading this. And I was like, I mean, there's yeah, a lot interesting. of. It, it kind of goes downhill for Cap after this um, in a lot of ways. Uh, for the Avengers in general, actually. Right. Pretty hard on himself, Bucky, for someone who wasn't in control of their actions. Right. So, um, Sarah Haley of. Uh, was one of the people who did early work in diagnosing and understanding PTSD. Mm -hmm. And she has this article, When the Patient Reports Atrocities, uh, that was very well known. And when she talks about the difficulty of talking about and listening to stories of brutality and violence, she worked with soldiers primarily. Sure. So she writes that uh, traumatized people are often haunted more by the shame of what they did or didn't do um, in a given situation than they are by the suffering that they've faced themselves, which I think is really clear in this Brubaker story, right? That uh, I think this becomes, this is true for Cap also, right? Like he carries all this guilt about Bucky's death mm-hmm. when there was nothing he could have done yeah. in that moment, really. I mean, Maybe not enlist a child soldier, but <laughs> right. past that. Other than that, I mean, to be right. What are you going to do? Not enlist a child soldier? Look how good at killing he is. There were Nazis that needed to die. Okay, guys. Right. So, 
And Bucky also is like a tragic figure and an assassin. He is yeah. both of those things. Yeah. Uh, and so when all these memories come flooding back, he has to face the ways that he's both victim and victim victimizer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I joke <laughs> that his trauma begins at Camp Lehigh when he's conscripted into yeah. the U.S. Army as a child soldier, but... It's actually not a joke. I'm pretty serious about yeah, that. No, that. Yeah, no, that's kind of where it begins. <laughs> and I think that that's why when he destroys the cube, that's where he winds up, right? Is at the yeah. beginning yeah. of all of this for him. That makes sense. Where he loses his father, where he's alone, where he is trained by the army as a child assassin, right? Um, the Soviets capture him and rewire him but all of the programming that they rely on is really what he received from the army, it was already not from there. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I really wish that I had done a little bit more in-depth stuff on the Weapon X things. Because that was all in the late, or was it early 90s or late 80s? Is that, you know? Uh-huh. Okay. Sheridan, remember. do you know? I do not. Okay. It, it changed significantly. Like, it definitely first came up in the 80s with Wolverine. Yeah. And then, like, at some point they, I mean, depends who you ask if it was a retcon or just a fleshing out. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be Weapon X, and then they're like, no, actually, it's Weapon 10. Mm -hmm. That's the Roman numeral 10, and they've done 10 of these experiments. Yeah. Um, I think that was in the 90s or even early 2000s. I think you're right. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, I just, I wish I'd done more research on it, because I want to know how much of that Brubaker pulled from. Um, yeah, I'm not sure because it's definitely there are lots of similarities where they're both soldiers with amnesia, who are yeah. literally like plugged oh, into true. a helmet that has like sensory deprivation. And honestly, Captain America is kind of like weirdly closely tied with that, with all these various experiments to like yeah, augment and create super, super soldiers. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's another connection because the Winter Soldier actually kills Wolverine's family. <laughs> Oh really? I, I didn't know that. Know. What? Yeah, I don't remember. I don't actually know what issue it's in. Uh, but when I were, I was sort of like compiling timelines and looking at Bucky's kill list, it uh-huh. popped up on something I was looking at, and I was like, "Oh gosh!" Like, wow. Like kills his pregnant wife. What? See, now I really wish I'd looked into it more because there are definitely parallels there. And like, yeah, it is a very similar story. So definitely some connections and probably where they're drawing from with in the MCU with killing Stark's parents. Oh, ooh, yeah. yeah. Which we also get. I thought about when you were talking about him killing the soldiers and making it look like a Jeep accident. Like, yeah, that's definitely, definitely. the same mm-hmm. style. Yeah. Also, it was just smart of Brubaker to basically like crib off of Wolverine's backstory because Wolverine is like the most popular Marvel <laughs> Comics character. So. Yeah. You guys are going to love this. Yeah. <laughs> I got really excited. I thought you were about to tell us something. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, what? is saying, like, you guys like Wolverine. You're going to love this. You're going to eat it up. What if Bucky was like Wolverine? <laughs> I do like, so, in, I mean, okay. In the MCU, obviously, to make sure that Bucky is still on the level of everybody else, um, he has, like, his own version of the super soldier form. Right. Um, but I like how in the comics they're just like, no, nah, he's just really good at killing things. Yeah. Um, so. He's got this dope metal arm. Dope metal arm. He Does he get the serum at some point? I kind of think he I does. I thought he did, but I'm not sure. He doesn't at this point. I no, think. he doesn't have it at this point. But I think, I haven't read this far, but I think after his Captain America run, when he returns to being the Winter Soldier, very possibly. Like something happens. So I read the yeah. Captain America run, his Captain America run in high school. And I, I, I went into this remembering that he had had it at some point, And then I was like, wait, maybe I'm misremembering that. So maybe it does come later on. I think so. Josh, you were going to pick nits about overtaking the world's most powerful corporations. It's just boring. Like you have the cosmic <laughs> cube. Yes. It's a monkey's paw. Yes. It's going to like backfire on you, but like have some fun with it. Like do something with it other than, capitalism <laughs> like capitalism <laughs> the real villain i guess so i it's just like you have this cube and it's like you know what i'm gonna make you do sign these documents <laughs> sign this contract Ooh. Ooh, you came here without your lawyers <gasps> and your bodyguards also like some really exciting comics panels 
It's just like I think it was pretty cool when all the contracts just like magically. It is okay. That is cool, but it's so ominous. He's like, "Oh, really? You don't you you? Let's have a demonstration." And I'm like, "Oh, what's he gonna do to him?" And he's like, "All right, sign this." It's the lead up is huge, and you're like, "Oh, what's gonna happen?" Oh, oh, it's just it's just bureaucracy. Just paperwork. I was gonna pick Nitz the other way. Take this to Sharon and HR. Sorry, go ahead. Telling you who all the like. I don't know. Like, it doesn't tell you anything about these companies at all. It just tells you it's like 13 random companies. Well, the only basically. one that's major, I mean, I'm sure, you know, potentially the other ones are too, but Roxxon is there, is there, and they're a pretty big deal. So they, they go all the way back to yeah, the 60s. Yeah, Roxxon's a really big deal. They're essentially like the Exxon of um, Marvel. But also, rereading it this time, I noticed it was like, these documents make you subsidiaries of Kronos Corporation. And I was like, so they're still kind of their own corporation. Yeah. Like they still mostly do their own thing, but mm-hmm. it's just boring. It's all, it's just yeah. a boring use of the cube. And, and maybe it's, you know, it could be because they're trying to illustrate how Lucan is a little bit scared of the cube and like using it to its full potential. But at the same time, like it's, it's just silly. Also, do we ever get an explanation of where? So the file came, like the winter soldier file was Lucan's mm-hmm. and it disappeared from his office and ended up in cap's apartment. How? It's either the cube just like messing with both of them at the same mm-hmm. time or it's possible that like the Red Skull was partially taking oh, over. Oh, that could be it too. See, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. What I, I did think it might have been the cube because the cube is – okay, so this is something I left out of my – I almost put this in um, my overview of the cube. But all cosmic cubes, once they're created, because they're created with the energy of the Beyonders, which are like sentient beings – their power eventually becomes sentient inside the cubes uh, and each cube works towards sentience. I'm um, trying to like become like alive. That's and become, pretty cool. Mm-hmm, actually. And become a beyonder itself. Um, but we don't usually see it get that far because typically they're destroyed by someone because they start, you know, they're being wielded uncontrollably in this case, right. Bucky destroys it. Uh, but that was my thought was that the cube was sentient for a moment and did it because it, you know, it gets it, in a situation I, where I think that's actually probably the most likely mm-hmm. because you could see this I mean if it was gaining sentience yeah. it could see this like back and forth between Lucan slash Red Skull mm-hmm. and Captain America it's like let me get in on this <laughs> let me get in on this love triangle yeah it's it's really weird the the cubes are just strange in general um, I think they're a pretty fascinating concept actually like I didn't realize they were so quite so monkeys paw like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> well, that makes not, it way more interesting. So that's though. not a hard and fast rule. It just always works. It out seems that to way. work that way. So. And, and it actually like ties nicely with it gaining sentience. Like that makes sense yeah. to me too. Like yeah. it's because they are alive and they're trying. It it is going to twist what you want, um, but it's yeah. still going to grant your desires. So I don't know. It's really interesting. They're a cool little concept. There's a whole really fun. Um, run where this guy this this villain called the ringmaster creates a like a basically the one ring but it's a cosmic cube (laughs) Um, and he does this whole like galactic war thing and it's just it's real silly but um i don't know i don't know where i'm going with that it's just a whole other cosmic cube arc that's not a cube when is a cube not a cube when it's a ring (laughs) so i think the the so the first couple the first i guess our first episode the run that we did in the first episode was more about like Cap reflecting on the trauma that he and Bucky went through together. Uh, and this one is definitely focused in more on just what Bucky has gone through. Um, and it's more of his story than Cap's at this point, at least partially. A little part. bit. I mean, we see quite a bit inside Cap's head through most of it. It does start to shift towards the end for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think by issue 14, it feels more like Bucky's story. Yeah. But until then, I think it does a pretty good job of balancing that. Yeah. But yeah, so the two to go back to the the open when we were talking about the the panels and how like sometimes the reader view forces me to slow down. Two of those were in this one. One was is it issue fourteen where he's talking? Or it's issue thirteen where he's talking to Falcon and he's asking what does he want to do? And so yeah, Sam asks him, So what do you want to do? And there's a panel of Steve just kinda like sitting there staring out the window. And then the next panel is like, I want to save him somehow. But like that pause is something I would completely skip over and <laughs> just looking at the page, but it was like really impactful Yeah, reading it that way. Interesting. 
Cap does do a lot of staring out the window yeah, <laughs> in these issues. Whole, yeah. He's he's very broody. Yes. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, if he, you found out that your reasons. best friend yeah. <laughs> had been a brainwashed assassin, you might also be a little broody. Yeah. A brainwashed assassin who's trying to kill you. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It's a little... It makes it a little dicey. I think at the end of this series, um, I guess at the end of when we're done with our cap study or whatever we're calling this, um, I think we should definitely pick out what our favorite like run of cap and it can be stuff that we've covered or not. Um, but just what we've like, when we feel like we've seen peak cap, because <laughs> I have several examples that aren't from this run that I want to talk about. That's good. I yeah, feel like the Marvel universe kind of just revolves around Captain America. Um, really? The more recently, not not originally, but yeah, more so recently because you, it really starts here. Honestly, um, maybe maybe a little before this, but like we go from this to the death of Captain America to Civil War um, to a like eight year run that Hickman's doing for the Avengers, which it's like Tony and Cap are the main characters, and it's more Cap than Tony um, to like where we're at now, which I guess it's kind of backed off of Cap at this point. Um, and like what's going on currently, but it's, there's a good like 15 years there where from like 2005 to like 2018, that's not 15 years. It's like pretty. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? 13 years. It's yeah. pretty cap heavy. It's yeah. And it's just, everything kind of revolves around cap, especially in the Hickman stuff. Like it's, it's very much like he's the soul of it. And Brubaker is writing a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote what? Did we ever figure out how many issues he did on this? At least 50, Over 60, 40. 80? Yeah, I don't remember. So much. Yeah. Exactly, but yeah, it's a it's lot. It's crazy. I love comics. Well, that's why we're doing this. Yeah. Join us next time as we skip to Captain America number 25 and begin the saga of the death of Captain America. You can find us on Instagram at Amateurs Assemble Pod, on Twitter at the assemble pod and you can send in questions and comments to amateurs pod at gmail.com you can also find us on itunes google podcasts stitcher pretty much anywhere you aggregate podcasts and blackmesaradio.com where we have other shows like moms who wine black mesa radio occasionally an nba podcast <laughs> called Storm Season and some other shows that are in the works. All of those there at blackmissradio.com. Do you guys have anything else you want to say before we go? Avengers. No. Disperse. <laughs> Disperse. Disperse. Oh my gosh. Bye. Bye.